Hey, Kelly. Hey there, SV. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Fantastic. Happy Sunday. Happy special episode of Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce. It's Father's Day edition, so super excited. I know. This is awesome. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little about what we have in store for us? Yes. So I have my very own special guest, my amazing brother-in-law, Tim, with us, and I couldn't think of anybody better for this episode than to bring him on and use his knowledge and his... I guess your entire just life experience in general to come to this conversation. Mm-hmm. We have a, another guest joining us in just a few minutes, but we wanted selfishly some time with him before Zach joins us. So Tim, will you tell us a little, I'm going to give my introduction to Tim. Yeah, Tim, how is she going to introduce yeah. me? No, take your He's time. amazing and handsome, <laughs> strong and smart. All of these amazing things. He can things. cook. He can amazing cook. family. Yes. And he raised two, he, along with my amazing sister, um, Alicia raised two amazing children, TJ and Alex. And so that's part of a lot of our conversation today is going to be about his experience with that and what advice he could give to parents doing it right now. My brother, before I probably skipped over this part, my brother-in-law is also a very handsome black man. And so they raised two gorgeous and amazing mixed children, Alex and TJ. So Tim. Give us your background. Talk to us. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, ladies. First of all, let's just get this straight. I have a voice for radio. A voice for radio. <laughs> not, right. not that everything she said wasn't true, but anyway, <laughs> thank you for having me, and I'm, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity here to talk and tell my truth about some of the current things that are going on, and just give me the opportunity to talk about my background and growing up and kind of maneuvered the waters here as far as you know being a minority and raising uh, two children of mixed race and uh, how that translates into today's conversation, conversation. Oh, yep. and climate and what people say it's just said. And I think I wanted to get the statistic and I don't have it and I should probably Google it real quick, but you, there are so many people I feel like that your, what you will talk about today will be so impactful to them because the population of mixed children is so much larger than when you and Alicia first had TJ, right? Like it's well, a, that population is growing more and more people are in interracial relationships, having kids. And mm-hmm. I think there are people that are just starting out and probably feel a little bit lost right now, or a lot lost. Well, a lot lost, and absolutely. You know, quite frankly, the year I was born, 1967, first year it was legal to to marry interracial. Wow. Oh, so let's just put I that know. perspective, right? Right. It's a happy, Less loving day. 52 years, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's not that long. When you think of the ability to do that without, you know, breaking a law. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean it was accepted. Right. It was just it was legal. So to put that in perspective, and the fact of the matter is, is that you know you spend your your life being judged about a lot of things, but the color of your skin or your kid's skin and the thing I was telling my daughter the other day, I mean, 32 plus years goes by when I was in high school, so on and so forth. And nothing's really changed in terms of my kids could be called out of the name just like I was. And that's 32 years, Mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like from a white perspective, to put your head in the sand, you want to act like we've come so far, but have we really? Right. So I question that, right? And especially, like I said, in today's environment where it, it may be a little bit more discreet, but the message is still out there, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess there's so much work to do. And I think just hearing from your perspective as a father. And so just talk a little bit, maybe give our audiences and honestly myself a little bit of background of your upbringing. So my mom was 14 years old when she had me. I was adopted, or not adopted, I was a foster child at five days old. I went to a foster home at five days old. And I was into a black family. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, we were poor, there's no question about it. I remember eating government cheese, making our own butter, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, right? But 
is uh, so looked down upon your own welfare. Well, I mean, we didn't know any different, sure. right? You know, I did realize real young that the color of my skin was different. People made you feel different because of the color of your skin. As kids, just the same age as your kids, we ran around and played together, had a great time. There was no problem with us kids. But at some point when you got old enough, you realized that that person's parents weren't really accepting of our relationship. And I'm not talking about a romantic relationship. I'm just talking about just being together, just having fun. Yeah. And you sit and you scratch your head and you wonder why, what's the big deal, right? I can tell you honestly, the family that I lived with, my parents, they're my foster parents, it was never a discussion about race. They acted as if nothing was going on. It wasn't something that they made my, you know, brought to my attention and said, hey, you need to understand that you're a little black boy, you're playing with white kids and so forth. They just, your kids play, you know? And so I was much older when I realized what that was about because my mom, my foster mom worked for a white family, the Burns family in Fort Scott, Kansas. And I remember they had gosh, three or four kids mm -hmm. right around my age. And again, you know, she was their housekeeper, whatever, but it was never, they didn't treat her negatively. I mean, she went in and did a job for them and there was never any distinguished like, oh, you're black, you stay over here and all that. They were accepting of it, you know? So that's kind of what I grew up seeing as far as race and, and you know, being in a home where it wasn't taught to you to be, to treat people different because of the color of your skin. So I can remember nine years old, my foster father got into an accident and passed away. At that point, I just remember my foster mother saying, you know, you're now the man of the house, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had a foster brother. We took different paths, mm -hmm. let's just say that, right? So he got in trouble. She worked at a, at a nursing home and worked 11 to 7 shift, right? So literally, she'd leave us at home, right? Mm -hmm. So I always knew right from wrong. I always knew what was expected of me. And maybe it was because of all the, the tough times. You're the one that's responsible now for, you know, making sure that we do the right thing. Me and my brother, right? So I just remember one night, you know, he's out doing what he does. It's after 11 o'clock, obviously. So, you know, he had some friends that obviously weren't that great, but they were just out joyriding in a car that they stole, and they got arrested. And so, um, you know, they went through the process. He got put into a juvenile home for a certain period of time, and supposedly he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. No one ever, again, back then, you didn't go and investigate. Back like, then, stuff, right? back then. No, just, that's what they told you happened. Personally, if I had the opportunity, the resources to investigate that or open that case back up, I would question, you know. Now, knowing what I know now, based on, again, current environments and, and what's going on, you know. I mean, here you got a kid that's however age we were at the time, 9 or 10 or 11, whatever it was, and he hangs himself in the closet, you know. That's was, how old he was? Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Mm -mm. So, again, you know, it's just tough to think about all that kind of stuff and, and how it relates to what's going on now and, and the truth being told. But, again, you know, as you get older and you kind of start learning for yourself and understanding what all is going on, I can remember at probably 11, 12 or so, I remember living, well, we lived with my aunt in Chanute. We moved from Fort Scott to Chanute, Kansas. And I can remember living with my aunt that had a 
had a restaurant, a barbecue restaurant, and the, you know, downstairs and then upstairs were the living quarters. And we had a room up there, basically a couple of things, right? One for my mom. And uh, I remember <laughs> looking out of that room, and there was a business probably about a block down where I'd always see this this man and this kid, and he had like a must have been like an excavating business or or something like that. They had semi trucks, right? So I always used to think that that was just so cool that that kid gets to go and ride in those big trucks with his dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Because quite frankly, I mean, up until nine years old, I mean, I had a dad, but, you know, that quickly changed after he passed away. And from that point on, I never really had that role model, figure. right, that figure in my life. Ironically enough, and I'm cutting this story short, but ironically enough, that kid that I used to see going with his dad to that truck every day turns out to be my best friend to this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Third grade, we're playing intramural basketball where we compete with different schools, different elementary schools, right? And there's this spastic kid that's running around. <laughs> <pounding around. laughs> He's still like that. Yeah. <laughs> that hasn't changed. He's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, we turn out to be best friends, but the funny part is that I'm like, who is this kid, right? So, and at the time, didn't put it together that that was the same kid that was walking to the truck every day. So anyway, that was a pretty cool story. But that's who that was, and we turned out to be best friends. And by the way, he happened to be white, mm-hmm. you know. And from that point on, I mean, it was just a, a never-ending bond. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't all peachy and roses because you had people in a small town where black and white mattered. You know, there was a difference. You know, you knew your place, and they knew them. The ironic part about it was they were one of the wealthier families in the town. So the fact that me and him were friends and so in turning into best friends really caused issue in terms of he got threatened, I got threatened, the friends that they had, and I, I tell my name Betty, his mother, this all the time. It's amazing to me now as an adult to think back on those times and to think that you guys didn't flinch as far as your love for me and how you accepted me into your home, knowing that you had friends that were probably talking all kind of crap or judging you or whatever, right? So I tell her all the time, you were ahead of your time, you didn't really know, you know? Because I can tell you, one of their close friends had a daughter that was probably a year younger than me. Um, When we got into high school, she pursued me to date. Well, all of a sudden I, her dad found this out, and I'll never forget hearing that, yeah, he said, yeah, he wishes you were a good day his daughter. He'd shoot your nigger's legs off. And those were friends of my best friend's parents, right? So that's just like, wow, really? Yeah. I'm not even pursuing your daughter. Your daughter is pursuing me. Right. But yet you're going to shoot my legs off. Right. Not just my legs, my nigger legs. Right. And throw that in there, right? So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you grow up with. And it puts in perspective of, wow. Perfect. Yeah. I guess I should also add in there that, you know, I was a relatively good athlete in that town. Mm-hmm. So that alone provided me a certain level of acceptance or privilege. Right. right. But at the end of the day, you realize real quick that that's not enough to, to get you through, you know, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if something pops off, you're still black. There's a place for you down here and we're still white. Yeah. So, you know, you carry that burden with you. You learn real quick because, again, the people that you think are your friends, you got to suddenly evaluate the circumstances and say, well, why are you 
supposedly on right? Is there really sincere reasons? Or is it because I'm popular right now and you want to hang out with a popular guy, right? The other thing that comes to mind is being on sports teams and, you know, the camaraderie and the, the, when you're on a team with folks and, and you learn that you have to work together and, and sweating together, you're crying together, you're competing together. And again, it goes back to that's great out there on the on the field, right? But how's that translating into just life itself? Some of them made that transition without question. Some folks, even to this day, I have no interest in talking to them. We all have our Facebook friends, right? Lisa has made it perfectly clear. I'm reading this, but do you mind if I delete them? Right? Go ahead. I mean, I'm losing no sleep over some of these folks, right? Sure. And just yesterday, she's showing me a post. we got a friend that probably since third grade I've known. We were not close, close, but, I mean, we talked. And he's real political and, and boisterous about the Black Lives Matter movement and believes in it and understands it. And he made a comment on Facebook yesterday. And one of my other so-called good friends who lives in Nebraska uh, is a banker at a, at a rural bank, probably hangs out with a lot of farmers. Mm -hmm. That whole crowd that isn't progressive enough to understand. And he puts on there all lives matter. And then it just starts to change, right? Mm -hmm. You see people that get it, people that are trying to explain it to those that don't get it. Right. And it's just ridiculous how long that went on. And you're not going to change everybody's mm -hmm. heart and mind, which we understand that. But at least open yourself up to try and understand. And that's all that people are asking for, you know? I'm not expecting, I don't care what your politics are. I voted Republican, I voted Democratic. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. It's what's in your heart. And that's what's frustrating about what's going on today. And especially as a minority father, you don't have to accept what my life is and what I produce out of my life, but be willing to understand that there's nothing wrong with it. You know? Right. Don't just keep harming each other with words and violence and, and and all of that when it's just some of it's just not your business, quite frankly, right? So from that perspective, it gets really frustrating. And like I said, for me as a minority father. You know, I mean, obviously, I've taught my kids to be as colorblind as they can be, right? We all have prejudices. There's yep. things that we don't like. Yep. But I've never been the kind of person that, just because of the color of your skin, I don't like you or I have something against you. Or I mean, it might be personal that you've done against me or my family, but there's nothing that, because of the color of your skin, that I'm saying, yeah, I hate that person. I mean, that's, that's strong, right? So. Like I said, growing up, having Dustin around, you know, he's, he, he talks a lot. He, he felt confident a lot because, I mean, like I said, I was able to. You didn't to, mention his name, by the way, Dustin. You were talking yeah, about your best yeah, friend. Yeah. And uh, like I said, there were some challenges growing up. Even within his family, he had a brother that, you know, again, that white privilege just bled right through, right? Yeah. So small town, predominantly white town. I mean, that's, that's some of the struggles that you're going to go through. So, you know, the, the main thing, and I don't apologize a bit about living or growing up in a small, phenomenally white town. I mean, it taught me a lot. You know, after my foster mother passed, I lived with a predominantly well, a white family um, that just kind of took me in just because I had really no place else to go. There are, you know, good and bad to go with that. It gave me a, a, an outlook or a perspective other than 
being a minority, you know, how minorities live. Like I said, I grew up eating government cheese, right? Mm -hmm. So having an opportunity to see that you could go out to dinner and have a good time doing that, which we didn't really do because we just didn't have the money to do it, right? Didn't go on a vacation. I crack up. I tell people all the time, spring breaks. I don't remember going on spring break. I mean, you just went home if you could. Right. If not, you just stayed in your dorm and right. hang out. You yeah. know? And so it's funny to listen to my kids. But, you know, where are we going to spring break this year? <laughs> <laughs> they got to do that, right? right? So as a minority father growing up, you're thinking, oh, we progress, right? right I gave sure. them the opportunity of something that I didn't have to do. So, I mean, it's just little stuff like that that you think back on and you're kind of proud of the fact that you at least come up from that. But I say that to say that a lot of stuff is still the same. Yeah. And it's just so frustrating to, to see that, you know, as much as you, as hard as you work and as hard as you try to be a good person, there's still that element that's still trying to keep you down. So that's really the first thing you're about. Like, wow, Tim, there's a lot to your story. Some of that was the first time I've heard. I know you're an ex-police officer, so we're going to reach that subject in another episode. You're going to be on a lot with us all. And, you know, people, our (laughs) listeners are going to get real used to (laughs) Uncle Tim here. So, you know, he's he's the the guy. But we're going to introduce another father here very shortly and have you guys talk about the climate today, what to do, and some advice. And it's going to be hopefully really interesting thought-provoking question and dialogue for our listeners and you know, for our next guest. And so we're going to take a quick little break and be right back. All right. So kicking it back off, our Father's Day special today. Um, you guys are talking to my amazing brother-in-law, Tim, and his story. That was a super powerful background and story, and you're going to be on a lot with us in the future. And so we had mentioned that we were going to have another, another guest on with us, and we have Zach here to... Give some background on Zach. You guys have heard from one of our closest girlfriends, Helen, already on previous podcasts. And she's talked about her son, Cam. And this is Cam's dad, Zach. He lives over in California. So Zach, why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Thanks for being here with us, by the way. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, happy Father's Day to everybody out there. So um, Zach's how I am in California, Cam's father. So he's now five years old, turning six here shortly, uh, which is exciting. And you know, candidly speaking, I'm extremely uncomfortable with this conversation, so I'm just going to put that out there. That I appreciate you doing this with me, but if I say anything stupid, uh, please have some patience with me. As this is a difficult conversation, but one that I think, uh, you know, we all need to have, and especially as a, as a white male that grew up in white suburbia, I am completely ignorant to the topic. And as I've educated myself more so over the past couple of months as, as the topic has been kind of a national thing that we're talking about, I've learned a lot, but I still have a long way to go, and I recognize that. So I appreciate getting some advice and and some guidance from uh, folks that have have been through this before, especially so that I can make sure that I I do what's most important is protect my son and make sure that, you know, that I'm doing my part to raise him appropriately and and to be successful in the future. So that's a little bit about me and uh, and my story. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Zach, I can tell you right off the start, you've got the right attitude about it. The thing that I will make sure to tell you and reinforce with you is don't be afraid of looking silly. Don't be afraid of asking questions. You know, Cam is at the perfect age for you to learn and educate yourself as much as you can right now, because, you know, the fact of the matter is you don't want to, especially right now, to try and sugarcoat things for him or try to to make things up as you see it. And that's why I say, don't be afraid to ask questions, whether it's to me as a black man 
or to others. Approach people as people, not as the color of their skin. And that right there is half your battle, right? I can tell you, for example, my wife growing up with, with our kids, you know, how do I do their hair? Something as simple as that, right? <laughs> you know, and it's challenging and she's embarrassed to ask somebody, but my point is ask. I mean, I had more of an idea of what to do with our kids' hair than she did, which was, you know, right? But I mean, those are humorous conversations to have, but I got off my point just a little bit. My point is, Educate yourself now so that when your kid gets old enough, like my daughter and my son have, when they find out the truth on their own, they can look back and your respect can be intact because you were telling them a truth and not something yeah. that was made up based on your perception. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And that's, that's why I'm sitting here as uncomfortable as it is. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, why I'm okay. it's it is, but I, you need to be uncomfortable right now because you're oh. just now learning. That's what I'm saying. Yep. They take pride in the fact you have an awesome kid. I mean, it's the first time I've actually met you or seen you, yeah. right? But, yeah. I mean, your kid from day one has just been awesome. Be proud of that fact, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's just awesome. And like I said, it only gets better as they get older. If you get older <laughs> and mature, I'm telling you, dude. Yeah. I mean, the pride is just should be beaming from you. Oh, yeah. No, I'm definitely very proud of them. And like I said, I think we're just all in a situation, especially white folks that want to be a part of the conversation is how do you become a part of the conversation, right? And how do you do it in a way where if you do say something stupid, that you have somebody that will just redirect you and be like, hey, this is why that's offensive and not take the approach of I said something or we said something collectively, right? Because right? I think a lot of white people are just scared to enter into the conversation right now. Sure. Right. I think just to jump into like the first question, because I think to me, this would be, if, you, if TJ and Alex were five years old right now, while the climate has not changed much to our conversation we're having just a little bit ago. We're just seeing it more because people are carrying cell phones, right? And we're seeing more stuff right in our face. What would you tell Zach and other parents that are raising black children right now or mixed children? What would you do the same that you and Alicia did when they were five? And that was a long time ago, you're what, 21 now? It was a long time ago. What would you do the same? And what advice would you give Zach now based on how things are now? Well, you know, here's the deal. I don't expect you, Zach, to go out and find 10 minority or black people to be buddies with right now, right? I mean, you, your environment and who you're around is who you're around. But the folks, the resources that you perhaps do have, whether they're colleagues at work or acquaintances or whatever, take the time to reach out to them. You know, this whole thing is, has, should have shown a light to a lot of folks that, look, minorities aren't asking for anything from you other than to show some respect, be respectful, and be willing to understand what it is that we're talking about. And for you to come to them and ask certain questions only helps them understand that this guy gets it. He's trying to understand and learn. You're going to have your element out there that they don't feel or, or see your sincerity, but you've just got to continue to explain, dude, I get it. I have a minority child, and I'm trying to make sure that I'm the very best that I can be for my child as he gets older and I maneuver through this thing, right? We're not, yeah. even as a black dad, you know, trying to maneuver in and out of the white world that they were predominantly a part of and trying to integrate in the black culture, there's things that I've slipped up on, you know? Because again, I don't know how far to take them or introduce them to that right now. Do they get it? Those are the kind of questions that I'm trying yeah. to make them understand, you know? It's a challenge, but like I said, you can't be afraid to ask the questions that are on your mind, right? 
Yeah, so with that, with that being said, I started to jump in real quick, but you, you had said talk to colleagues and friends, and I've, I've done that. I don't know that I always do it in the right way. You know, I come from a place of being humble and, and ignorant, and I, I am honest about that up front. But if somebody wants to approach you, and I'm sure there's many people that will listen to this and want to approach a black man or woman and talk to them about their experience, what is that right way to ask those questions? What is the right way to start that conversation with somebody that you're, you're doing it in a respectful way, in a way that is not, is not going to put them on the defensive? So just for a second, let's just take race out of it. If you were mm-hmm. to have a conversation with your mother or your father, how would you start that about a difficult topic? Not anything to do with race. How would you do that? Me personally, I just jump right into it. Same deal. Like I just had it head on. Same deal. Same attitude. Yeah. You, you got to embrace that and get over the fear. It's race. Okay. Yeah. It's a big hot topic, but you're trying to educate yourself. Ask the question. And that's it. That's when I talk about as a black man and I'm talking to someone, a, a white person. If I ask them a question that I would ask my black best friend or whatever, and they respond the same, then I'm comfortable with their sincerity. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to backdoor a question in on, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm asking you yeah. as a fellow human being, I'm not trying to approach it from a color perspective, right? Totally. I think the color element just adds something different. It's something that's scarier for a lot of people because we've been told our whole lives not to talk about it. Right? right. We were not supposed to talk about race. So then when it's like, yeah, we'll just talk about it. I'm comfortable doing that because I, I'm a very direct individual, but a lot of people are not. And they don't have that door open. So, right. But um, they've been yeah, taught that still. because that's that privilege. See, that's what we're talking about as black folks when we talk about white privilege. You've been told your whole life not to talk about it because, quite frankly, you're all guilty as hell for the most part, right? As far as trying to, to suppress it. But it's a matter of fact. You know what I mean? We yeah. don't have to talk about it because it never is going to be brought to our face. We're very comfortable living in a society, waking up, watching TV, turning on the magazines, and, you know, surrounded by people that look like us. So we don't necessarily have to broach the subject. And so now that, you know, we've got Cam, when when do you think is the age, Zach? Have you put put any thought behind Cam's age and and a topic of conversation or your role that you're going to have with raising Cam? Yeah, I mean, Helen and I just talked about this the other day as far as, like, what age. And, you know, I was of the camp of, like, hey, maybe there's some of the stuff we don't need to talk about yet, right? But that, that, that was my position. I thought he was too young. I wanted him to be a kid. You know, to your point, I didn't have to deal with this as a kid, right? I was, like, throwing rocks and collecting acorns in, in, in the woods, yeah. you know? So I wasn't dealing with this shit. And to hear him, like, she told me what, what he said in the car with, uh, with Steel the other day as far as just the color of his skin and was Steel still loving and all that stuff. And, you know, like that stuff breaks my heart that I just don't want him to have the conversation. And, you know, Helen checked me on that a little bit. And she's like, well, no, I've talked to people and, you know, we have to start talking to him about it now. And if he's asking them questions, we need to answer it. And I, I struggle with that answer. Right. And I, I've done research, too, since that. And it's only been a couple of days and everything supports that, that we need to start having the conversation now. It wasn't what I was comfortable with, probably because of my upbringing. And I want him to be a child. I don't want him to deal with race i think this is my fight right it's it's uh, you know i've been adult long enough to try to help fix this and i haven't right i don't want it to be his fight but i uh, i'm now realizing it has to be his fight and that i have to jump into the conversation now with it so exactly right it, it, it is his fight and it is his fight right now so that's the thing as parents i can tell you right now i have a 22 year old going to be 22 year old daughter and a 25 year old son 
and I will fight to the death for my kids. And I know you guys are the same way. The fact of the matter is it's hitting them right now. And it's up yep. to us primarily to listen to them. There's no spe- there's no magic number age wise or other of when this is going to affect them or when you think it's going to affect them. And sure. the, the reality is ask them the questions, listen to them, because I can tell you right now, that's the most important thing you can do is listen to them. They're feeling it. They're dealing with it. Right. I mean, there's quite frankly, we didn't ask our kids early enough about some of the things that they were dealing with, because again, I thought 30 plus years later, it'd be a little bit better. I mean, (laughs) you know, we're not living in a, in a, you know, one room shack. We've got a decent house and we got decent jobs and, but that doesn't really matter at the end of the day because they'll make it about the color of your skin. Right. So that had nothing to do with it. You know, they're good kids. They were decent to everybody that they, that they interacted with. But at the end of the day, because of where we live, the color of their skin left them out of a bunch of things that went on. So my point is, is that you've got to make sure that throughout this process, you're asking him because he's out there, you know, whether he's at school and hearing things and dealing with people or other kids, he'll let you know. But you've got to ask him because they don't know to say, Dad, I felt awkward today because somebody mentioned the color of my skin. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So... No, it's, it's fair. It was wishful thinking for me to think he could just be hanging out in the woods and beating up his buddies. Instead, uh, I have to have these conversations. So it was a learning moment for me. Yeah. What keeps you up at night, Zach? <laughs> That's a very loaded question. And uh, probably not one we have enough time for, but this does now more than anything. I think the uh, Ahmad Arbery thing, uh, that hit me, you know, it, it really in my core, having it so close to him. And then the stuff that went on at Wendy's recently and just kind of seeing it and having him in the South, you know, honestly scares the shit out of me a little bit. Obviously I, I date black women and, you know, being in the South when I lived there and being on dates with black women outside of Atlanta, it was uncomfortable. So having my son in that environment, in a place that's notoriously racist, scares the, scares the shit out of me. So that, that I don't love, but it's like, you know, I'm out in California, one of the most liberal parts of the, the country or the most liberal parts of the country. And we have people being hung out here too. So it's not like, it's not a geographic thing for any, for me anymore. It's just about getting it fixed, but making tangible progress towards that is, is really what keeps me up at night. That's the primary thing. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I won't bore y'all with. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> I don't get, I don't get a ton of sleep. So yeah. Yeah. You know, I tell people how, you know, this, this episode is really for us to kind of start the conversation. And it's always important for Sarah Beth and I to provide some resources and books and things and for people to do their own research on, which we will and be able to have people sign up for. But just to be able to keep on topic and fa- having it be Father's Day. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, listening to your kids and making sure that if they're asking that you can approach the subject. I think it's really, especially for white people, it's really easy for us just to kind of, you know, it's almost like, you know, how babies made, not today, you're, you're hungry, you know, can kind of talk about that later, but you know, this is an important topic for us. And Tim, I would like to ask, what would you have done differently outside of ask, you know, or listen to your kids a little bit more? What else would you do a little bit differently? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because my wife and I have often talked, you know, we may have done our kids a disservice by moving to Forsyth County, for example, where historically it's a racist county, so on and so forth. But at the time we were thinking outside of the whole race issue, we're thinking of education for our kids. I mean, that was, a, you know, good schools, 
And so that's what in our hearts we had in mind. So it wasn't that we were ignoring the fact that race was going to be an issue, but, you know, we were folks that were treated people right and did the right things and felt like we could maneuver through that without real negative impact to our kids, which I think we did. But still, the fact of the matter is we didn't allow, well, not allow, we didn't give them the chance to be as diverse, you know, in those schools or they're growing up in a school like we could have, meaning that, you know, if we would have went to an area where there were more diversity, where there was more diversity, that probably would have benefited them more than they got in Forsyth County. Mm-hmm. My niece is right here, by the way. So we're looking at her across the... <laughs> Hi. I'm, 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 I'm proud to pull her in here and for the conversation. I mean, Actually, I, I think, why don't you come over well, here, Alex? Yeah, she'll tell you. So um, this is my niece, Alex. She is 21, turning 22 in like two weeks. Hi. So uh, <laughs> how are you? Good, good. You could literally give some pr- like perspective. Would would you go back and wish they would have chosen a more diverse school for you to have been a part of and raised? I mean, I think any human being should be in a more diverse mm-hmm. situation, like from when you are able to understand like what diversity is. You know what I mean? Like there shouldn't be. I was just telling like my mom the other day. Like I played basketball, I played sports throughout middle school, high school, whatever. So you would travel to games, whatever. And there was always like certain like just the area we live in. There was just certain schools where it's like we knew. There was going to be like, oh, well, there were three black girls on my basketball team. So we were like preparing ourselves and we went and played this school because we knew that we were going to be the, <laughs> the outliers. And then you like went to this school. And we were like, cool, <laughs> like we're not different, you know? <laughs> so like there was just like different things like that. But I was just telling my mom, like, I feel like with you being like a white dad, you need to make, not make Cam like, but you need to make sure Cam knows at the end of the day, like even if he has a white parent, he is black. You know, like make sure he knows that. And it's like, he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be hanging out with black people all the time. He doesn't have to be whatever, but like he needs to know at the end of the day, like whether he has white friends, if he's with you for the week or whatever, it's like, yes, he has white family members, but at the end of the day, he's black. Other people will always see him as black, even if he doesn't like feel it or see it. Other people are, that's how they see him. So like, he needs to know that, you know, that's where I feel like, me and TJ were different is because like we were only around like three other black kids. Like there was no nothing, nothing to like really use as an example. And like those the yeah. black kids that we were around like weren't really well off. They their parents weren't really involved in their lives. So it was like just a very different situation than like what we had. So like and like the where we grew up, we kind of related to the white people more. So like I think we were more comfortable around white, like around white people, if we're being honest. And then yeah. like, obviously as we grew up, we moved, whatever, we're completely fine now. But I think making that known to your mixed kids for sure is that like, you might fit in with both sides, everybody, but it's like, at the end of the day, you're black. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, everybody else sees you as black, no matter if you yeah. grew up with white kids, if you grew up with black kids, whatever. So just making that known. Your mom's white, right? So -hmm. how did your mom help enable that conversation? And how did she help, like, kind of do that in the household? Sorry to put your mom in the spot. Yeah. Do you want to go over Um, don't. Yeah, I don't think, like I said, like, we grew up with, I was never in a diverse situation until I went to college, if we're being completely honest. Like, I was always. you sought that out, didn't you? It wasn't important to you to find a college that was more diverse. Yeah. And it's just kind of like. Yeah, she didn't really. 
that's, that's not a bad She's thing. an amazing mom. Exactly. She's, she's incredible. But like, First of all, I don't like, take this as a mom on your mom. I don't, yeah, okay, I don't, that's why I'm making it like. the best she could with the information she had, so I understand that. So what are you saying that you would wish, to, basically that she put you in more situations where there was diversity? Yeah, just putting me, and just like, honestly, just talking about it. Like, because it was never, it was always more of like a running joke that like me and like the two other girls on my basketball team, like, oh, we're the only, like, you know, like it was always like more of like a thing that we joked about that like me and TJ mm. were the black kids at the school and like making it like a topic that related to real life instead of just in that four years of high school, yeah. I feel like would have benefited. Okay. And not even high school, like for me, like it was made known in starting in middle school. I was always friends with everybody. Parents loved me, teachers loved Like it was never, I never felt different necessarily until middle school when like, it was just, we were older. Yeah. So that's yeah, why so. I say like. Get meaner in middle school. I feel yeah. Like. Not even meaner. Just like, <laughs> just like curious. Like, like yeah, curious. And like, that's when like, that's when you get your boyfriends and your girl, like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we just get older. And so it's like, it's more. Boyfriends, girlfriends, all of a sudden proms or school dances come up and you find yourself not having a date because of the color of your skin, because those parents are like, Oh no, you can't. Nope. Nope. And that's what Alex is talking about. When you as the white father have to understand that at the end of the day, as light as your kid is, or as nice as he is, he's still going to be a black kid at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, because, and I feel like that's the most important thing as a white parent. Like, that's what I wish they would have talked more about to both me. Like, TJ was a different story because he's a black man, like male, mixed male, which like, this is a whole different setup when it comes to girls and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? Yeah, he was, he was the cutest that. thing ever. He was like, yeah, but like, it was definitely different for TJ than me you know yeah. so it's like there's mm-hmm. there's that difference but it's also just like me i feel like if they would have made it known at first like i said like you could be friends with all the white people in the world but at the end of the day you are black i think that would have made all the world a difference and not in a negative way just like making it known like me and tj for sure had just like a shield up to like who we really were not who we were but there are things, History. You, there are yeah. things you chose to let go and not address because for you, sure. you weren't comfortable and didn't understand because of we didn't help you to understand at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to like, address those things. Yeah. And I think there's a part yeah, like, where there's a, you know, we don't see race. And I know the intent behind that, where people are going with that, is that we're one human race. But we also, I think it's super important for us to embrace other cultures and to be very proud of who who we are and who we're growing to be and whether it's the color of your skin or the, you know, the people that you surround yourself with. And I think that's the, that's what's super important is that raising a son and or or daughters and to be very proud of, you know, how, how beautiful you are and whether if you're different or the same, right. So just being able to be that learning piece to it. How does that make you feel listening to listening to Alex? Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't bother me at all. I'm a I'm a huge traveler, but I, I travel globally for the reason of learning other cultures and and understanding those. My plan is to take Cam to Ethiopia when he's a little bit older. I also plan to take him to third world countries and let him see how how life is. I think that uh, you know, outside of just the race issue for a second, when you just look at what we have here and how unhappy we are versus when you go to another country where they don't have basically a pot to piss in and are extraordinarily happy humble nice people it does it changes you as a person it change, at least it's changed me as a person and changed many people that also share my passion of travel so that's that's always been very important to me 
you know, early on with Helen, you know, I always wanted to learn Spanish, a second language, so that he could he could start to have diversity of thought. So that really doesn't bother me. It makes a ton of sense, even the way you were brought up. I can I can relate to that in some ways where you just kind of like don't think about any of it. And then the difference is I didn't have to get hit in the face with it in middle school because it just continued throughout my whole life where you had to deal with it at a much younger age. So it's good context for me to understand, especially for him, because this is all learning for me to make sure that I can get ahead of it before we get into a situation where it's it's too late. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that and getting ahead of it in elementary school and even now so that when he gets to that you know, older age, you know, he's protected. You know, Zach, I had one other thought. Um, you know, we were talking about Cam and the older he gets, the more he's going to start learning on his own. And I mean, I, quite frankly, I probably see you and Helen allowing him to play sports because he seems to be pretty athletic from what I've seen. And that's going to I don't help. think we're going to stop him from that. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. I know. But I think that right there will allow him to experience a lot of that diversity that we're talking about and give him that opportunity. And that's going to also benefit you as well. I mean, I'll just use AAU basketball, for example. Some of the teams that TJ were on, again, because they were friends up here, were predominantly white. But, you know, another area where I wish we would have taken the time to say, you know what, let's, let's seek out some other teams that had more of a mix on them because that would allow us as parents to get to know some of those minority parents, right? And establish friendships so that we can also have those additional conversations. So I'll challenge you to make sure that when you get to that point, whether it's baseball, basketball, or whatever, look for those diverse teams, get them on there. Those people are just itching to have conversations and to share their experiences with, with you know, the white people and to make them understand. Okay. Sports yeah. is such a, a way for us to get together and enjoy something and unify, you know, and that's, that's okay. just an easy avenue. Yep. No, I'm, a, I'm on board with that. and Totally fine with having him do that. And if he's in Atlanta, that, that should be yeah. fine to find teams yeah. that have to yeah. Yeah. I agree. You're not going to get him to stop. He, he'd probably go sign himself up for the next team on his own if he, if he could. We could say no, but he'll be breaking out. And, uh, <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, we're coming up onto one great conversation, but is there anything, any topics Zach, that you want to make sure, whether if it's for in the future or now or opinions, yeah. since we do have Alex here? Yeah, I do. Um, since you raised a, a, a black man, I am curious about what that talk looks like with him and, and what the conversations around his interaction with police specifically, given all the kind of craziness that's going on there and all the kind of scary shit that's happened. So what does that conversation look like or what, what did it look like? What maybe would you have done different and when would you start having that? So I'm going to tell you something that's kind of funny and I'm going to embarrass Sarah Beth because Sarah Beth would steal would constantly say, Tim's a policeman, Tim's the next policeman. If you don't do this, then you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. That's the wrong message to send, uh, right? Because it's yeah. not always about Sorry. getting in trouble. It was because he was acting out at the time. <laughs> trying to say well, she would grab his attention, that's for sure, and he would straighten up. It should be because Uncle Tim said to do this or right. whatever, you know. But anyway, you know, again, it's a tough time in this world to, I guess, use police as a positive influence on our kids just because of everything that they can visually see, right? And mm -hmm. still doesn't mean that there's not good cops out there doing the right things. And that's the tough part about having this conversation right now because they realize that basically the world's in an uproar right now because of actions taken by police. Mm -hmm. So again, we have to make sure that we're educating them on the fact that there are good people out there in uniform doing their job for the right reason. 
you know, and, and this is again where you challenge yourself to be educated on, they still got to have their guard up because again, he's a minority child until we get some things, you know, reform or whatever's going to take place, right? As much as we'd like to say so, this is not going to change overnight. The race issue isn't going to change overnight. Weeding out the bad cops is not going to change overnight. So we still have to make sure we educate our kids to be prepared and what to do so that they don't immediately, whether it's get shot or find themselves in a chokehold or whatever. But we, we've got to maintain that communication with our kids to make them understand police are out there for the right reasons, right? They're there to help you. If you're in the right place at the right time, or if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, the way you act and present yourself is going to impact probably how you get out of that situation. You know, a thought came to me, but it's something that we'll talk about at another time that happened here again, locally, the cop did everything right. And people are still screaming for his job. And the facts were there to show that he did the right thing. And it was a group of kids involved. So we're just in a volatile time right now is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Totally. To, yeah. For us to be able to, to clearly, express upon our kids how to, how to react and respond. But again, it's a matter of respect. So you can't lose that. Being respectful, being a good person, nine times out of 10, you're going to be fine. What do you tell TJ yeah. if he got pulled over? What did you, if he got pulled over right now, what would you, I think you, you were telling them this, I think when they got their licenses, right? But like, what oh. was that conversation like? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I tell Alicia this all the time. If TJ's in the car with a white friend and nine times out of 10, that's where he was because that's what we grew up with, right? Let's just say there were alcohol or drugs in the car. Nine times out of 10, TJ is the one that's going to get pinged for something as opposed to that white person. That's just a reality. But he's got to make sure that he's being respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir. That's all I can tell him. I can't tell him anything other than be respectful. We'll deal with all the other stuff after the fact, but you've got to survive yeah. that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I hear. I mean, that's a lot of the people I've talked to at work and, and friends of mine out here, that, that's the conversation. It's lived to fight another day. And I don't, I didn't know if you had another angle on that or if that's kind of the vibe. I can tell you as a police officer, and again, it's all about the heart of the police officer. I mean, I'm out there trying to do the right thing. I don't care if you're black, white, if you're breaking the law, I'm there to address that. I'm not there to harass yeah. you or to, and I can't yeah. say that everybody's like that. So that's why the conversation for me is a little tough as I'm giving advice on how to interact because dealing with an Atlanta police officer, which I think there's probably more good Atlanta police officers than there are in rural America, where if you're a minority in rural America, guess what? They probably haven't been exposed to that level of diversity to know how to interact. So a lot of that comes from a place of fear, not that they intend to, you know, do harm to somebody, but if you react or do something as all of a sudden, they're intimidated. That's the reality that's out there, you know? So that's why it's not an easy question to answer in terms of, you know, what do, what do I tell my five-year-old or my 10-year-old or my 15-year-old? Yeah. yeah, no, I know it's not. I don't want him to grow up angry either, you know? So that's the, that's the balancing act here is you, you don't want to raise an angry child, but you want to raise one that's responsible and smart and not going to get themselves in a situation where they can't get out of it. Right. And so as a parent, that, that's that's just good. make them aware. That's the reality. Just that's make fair. them aware. Back. Cool. You said before we got started that you were going to challenge Zach with something. You wanted to challenge him with something to take away. And then I think you guys, I would love to connect you to, to have conversation further if you're open to it, Zach. Uh, you know, okay. 
resource yeah, to you. Absolutely. I would love to. And I don't mean to cut you off. I would love to. Zach, my challenge, I guess, main thing, like I said, right now, Zach is at a perfect age. And I think I said this earlier. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm at a perfect age. I got you. Yeah. He's like, I am at a perfect age. Yeah. <laughs> We're all at a perfect age. Cam's at a perfect age to where, like I said, he's young enough to start understanding what's going on. And he doesn't, you know, necessarily understand it all. And it's a perfect time for you to educate yourself as much as you can. And it's okay as a dad, as a white dad, whatever, to admit, I don't have the answer right now. That's the thing. As parents, we always want to have the right answers for our kids. And quite frankly, there are times when you just don't have that answer. You know, it's hard to explain to somebody that I have a beautiful, smart daughter that is just as qualified as somebody else that's white. But yet she doesn't get the privilege of doing something or taking advantage of something. That's hard to explain as a minority dad, you know? Yeah. So yeah. you have a perfect opportunity to educate yourself, to reach out and lean on folks that either have experienced it or can give you advice on how they dealt with the subject matter. Communication, dude, that's the message right there. One thing, for example, that I thought of when I knew we were going to have this conversation is that, you know, this is something that we'll talk offline about probably, but start with your parents, how they accept it or not accept it. Deal with them directly, get their input, and then try to put things in perspective. Because if you can understand how your parents, the folks that gave birth to you are dealing with this and the questions that they have, that'll help you go out and ask certain questions that will maybe help clear your mind. Yep. We've already begun that journey. Yeah. That's not the fun. Yeah. yeah. It's not. And I'm going to tell you right now, this whole thing is uncomfortable. For me as a black man, at this point in time, 52 <laughs> years into this, it's still uncomfortable. But yeah. I'm telling you, yeah. you get to the point where you're tired. I mean, again, I'm telling you right now, I would die for both of my kids. And that's the mentality that you have to have about this, is that as uncomfortable as it might be with my very own parents, my kid comes first. Comes first. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm here. I appreciate the feedback and advice. It's helpful, and it's also helpful to grow my circle with people uh, with different experiences too. So I appreciate you being willing to do that. Well, I'm here for you. And I'm telling you, we'll get numbers and exchange. And I mean, dude, I'm telling you, call me night or day. And I thought I have all the right answers. And that's the main thing I wanted to express when you guys asked me to do this. This is Tim's world, right? My, as I, you know, have experienced it. I'm not perfect. I haven't, I don't always say the right thing, but I have a passion about some of this stuff and I pay attention to it. And I'm telling you, we all deal with stuff a little bit differently, but I think what SB and Kelly are doing here is very important, and I think it's beneficial. Yeah. And um, I agree. On to it. Thank you yeah. for jumping on with us, Zach. Yes, thanks yeah, for, for sure. conversation and vulnerability with that. I'm excited for you guys to carry on the conversation. And if at any point you want, I'm assuming you'd be over you and TJ probably open a conversation too. But thank you for um, joining us. I know it was three hours yeah. of your time. Have a great <laughs> Father's Day. Yes, Happy Father's thank Day. You. Until next time. Thanks, thank guys. You. Thank you. All right, thanks, Bye. Everybody.